0: Sci-Fi for Me presents Jason Hunt and Timothy Harvey. This is the H2O Podcast.
1: I'm, I'm waiting to
0: see what happens. <laughs> oh, I don't know what you're talking about. Everything is going fine. Nothing has happened. Right. It is 8 o'clock somewhere. Not anywhere uh, we're aware of. You still want to see your mics? Uh, uh, so, folks, for those of you who are just tuning in, hi. For those of hello. you who tried to tune in earlier. Hello we, again. We had a bit of a power issue. Um, very dark in here. Yeah. See,
1: um, apparently, uh, the studio is configured in such a way that if we to if if we are to turn on the coffee pot, everything shuts off.
0: You've got to understand just how sad that makes us here. Uh,
1: well, apparently. Um, there's only a 15 amp fuse back over there, okay. and so I I was thinking we probably might want to uh, make that a 20 amp fuse, probably. Maybe.
0: Yeah, so maybe. So I'll have. There to is a coffee maker uh, upstairs, so don't, don't so don't don't feel too right. No, actually,
1: feel very bad for us. Feel bad send things. coffee, send coffee, and send money to pay the electrician <laughs> to put the 20 amp fuse in, because the electrician is not cheap. We learned. No, no, they're hey. not. There's, uh, there's a so. reason
0: there's, there's like, you know, degrees and things in that. No. You've know, got to pay off their student loans.
1: Robert's in the chat. Thomas is Robert? in the chat. Welcome. Guys. And uh, I am a little retro tonight yes. in, my, in my retro logo coffee mug and my Starlog magazine right. t-shirt. I'm very pl- pleased to have this. I'm very proud to have that on there. Try it again. What? Oh, are we gonna? Hey, look, we've got, we've got other cameras. There we go. Yeah. There we go. Close up. Um, and we are we are testing new camera angles tonight. So if it looks a little bit different, it is. Um, it's on purpose and everything. It's on purpose and everything. Well, the we've got this we've got this one scene set up in mm-hmm. the broadcast software where you can we can put the both of us. Side by side. Right. Let's let's show that
0: if we could. Just the one where we're still not facing each this other. It's the one where
1: we're not facing each other. So so I've moved the cameras uh, so that we can look a little bit more like we're facing each other. Sure, sure, sure. In the in the set. Do do we not? Do we have no? It's right. I'm
0: gonna
1: right. <laughs> do that. It's like uh, we're still we're still working. <laughs> we're still. <laughs> We're still working on it a little bit. Oh, uh, so we could have some fun with this. This could be, this could be funny. <laughs> We could. We, we could. could. Yes. Um, but anyway, yeah. So, so we're still we're still playing with stuff, uh, reconfiguring and everything. And who knows what'll happen? What it may all change next week. It'll know. all end in tears. I just know it. Yes. 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 I've had a few. <laughs> I don't have a face-off on here.
2: Uh,
1: what? Oh, on the on the cheat sheet, we have a we've been building a little inside baseball. We've been building a cheat sheet for the keyboard shortcuts for the show. And for, for when, yeah, for when our, for when our show engineer heads off, uh, at pumpkin hour and we're still talking because we won't shut up. So, um, this has never happened except (laughs) when it has, yes. um, yeah, I guess we'll have to. I'll have to put that in there because that's not there. So anyway, <laughs> we do have a topic tonight, and we, we are going to get to the topic tonight. Um, yeah, right. the the new camera angles apparently kind of fit with the topic a little bit, but mm. um, uh, yes. But first, let's let's do a little business. Uh, we have a discount code set up at superhero stuff.com. If you would like to get ten percent off your merch, like a Starlog T-shirt, well, Starlog—they don't have a Starlog T-shirt there. That I got that from Fright Rags. But if you want merch, like you know, uh, they got a lot of cool stuff, fran- franchise stuff, intellectual properties, you know, like you know, Star Trek and Star Wars and Godzilla and Twilight Zone, Doctor Who. Ten percent off when you use the promo code Sci-Fi for Me Ten and. If you would like to support us financially, we do have a Subscribestar account set up. Subscribestar.com slash sci-fi for me. Right now, just $5 a month. Uh, That's the the level that we've set. We may do some more. I'm not sure. The money we raise there, if we raise any, uh, will go toward paying for... Things like travel, you know, hotel accommodations and, and that sort of thing. When we go cover events, we have reached out to a number of different events to cover them live, the way we did with Worldcon and with Planet. Right. So we're looking at doing that. And of course, there's Star Wars celebrations coming up in Anaheim this year, and we'll have to travel to that. We've got press passes for C2E2 in Chicago. That's going to cost money. So there are there are pl- there are ways that you can uh, contribute. Uh, there's a PayPal link. Uh, there's always the super chat in in when you're sure. watching a live show. But certainly no obligation on any of that. No. We we appreciate you just being here. Uh, if you're watching and uh, if you want to participate in the chat, you're more than welcome. Um, I got these. Cards with the shirt. Yeah, uh, it is uh, a trading card from uh, Fright Film Facts. That is a, a trading card oh, from yeah. Fright Night. Yeah, and then I got this. It, I think it's a sticker. Yeah, it's a sticker. Uh, Elvira, Mistress of the Dark sticker nice. that came with the Starlog T-shirt. And, and the reason I've got a Starlog nice T-shirt. is Yes. I have this Starlog T-shirt because Phil Noble Jr., editor in chief at Fangoria, posted on Twitter that you should probably get one of these this year. He says, it
0: "implies something."
1: We'll see what happens. Uh, there are a lot of people speculating off of that tweet. They're like, oh, "Wait, what does that mean?" Well, wait, um, wait, wait, what does that mean? All that
0: I've seen the Fangoria coming back in a print form um, has been a. Uh, a success of a kind we don't have I don't think we have numbers I on that and but but clearly it's been popular um and hopefully it's been a, a financial success for them of course we that sort of thing you want to see encouraged and and so you know if you're if you're not buying it you should be um it's, I think
1: given given how many different things that CineState is doing with their productions with the film productions and the other things they're doing um it would seem to me that they've got things spread out enough expense wise that yep. what they're doing with Fanquoria is pretty sustainable. Which is good oh, to see because yeah. it means the other stuff could come back at That's some right. point. Like maybe. I don't know, maybe Starlog. Like maybe Starlog. Maybe Starlock. I did send an email to them. No, oh, sure. Uh-huh. Say, Hey, I saw this thing from Phil. Does it mean anything? And if it does mean something, you guys need any help with live
0: broadcasts? <laughs> Go. Call me Jessica. <laughs> All right.
2: Can I ask one thing real Is you, there a way to pop the YouTube chat out so I can watch it too? Uh, it's too late since we're already
1: in the stream. Are you... Technical question, folks, for those who are just... Yeah, well, I, I, yes, an engineering question. So if you're over in the YouTube, mm-hmm. that which you're um, there, um, over, I don't think you can now. No. So. You can see the YouTube I mean, tab there. Yeah. yeah. I mean, you yeah, can always, keep going. I know you yeah. could always, you could always open it in another browser and look at it that way because I'm, um, I'm, um, no, you just open a new tab and, and do a, just go to the YouTube URL and you could go in there by itself. You'll have to turn, you'll have to mute it, but yeah. Okay. 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 Right. Inside baseball stuff, So behind-the-scenes and, it's, and it's, machinations and mechanisms. It's how this stuff works. It's it's. Uh, yeah. So why don't you introduce our topic?
0: Sure. So and 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 a fair warning: um, we have a list on our board, which we can see from this, these very chairs. And at the very top, there are two words that in we are red. in red. Uh, that we are have been encouraged to not talk about. <laughs> Because we have talked about them quite a bit. But unfortunately, we have to talk about them because it actually involves a news story and a bit of production that is actually going on here uh, uh, with, a, with a show that is coming out that is, is a... Uh... Well, let's just say these two words that we're not supposed to talk about are these things called reboots and remakes. But there's also this other term called the reimagining. Now, to be clear, reimagining... When referred to in the sense of a movie, mm. is another way of saying, or or a television show, is often a movie becoming a one kind of movie becoming another movie, a TV show becoming another TV show. Right. Is when they say reimagining, they really mean reboot. Okay. It's a, it's it, in most cases, it's a synonym. It's
1: it's a reboot, but it's a reboot. With a facelift, so it's a completely—it's usually different in tone, style. Right. Uh, think, think, like I keep complaining about Starsky and Hutch, uh, Dukes of Hazard. You, you reimagining, but it's not the same as the original.
0: Right, and and that's an example of taking it from a source, a TV source, and making it into a film. Okay, and these are two different mediums. They're both visual, right. they're both moving picture, pictures and stuff, but they are different mediums. Um, Battlestar Galactica going from a TV show to a TV show, that is, when you say reimagining, that's a really good example of it. Sure. And a successful example uh, for the folks who, uh, you know, there was some really good storytelling. It wasn't a perfect show, any stretch of the imagination, but it had some, it, overall, over the course of this, the run of this show, more good television was produced. And it won a Peabody Award, it, and it ended up being a show that garnered a lot of praise and got a very large fan base. And there are a lot of people, of course, who are very concerned about what it would be, because it was a reimagining of Battlestar Galactica. And of course, now we have a new version of Battlestar Galactica, which is apparently coming to television again, uh. which. Is an, another thing. Is it, is it another TV or is it a movie? I thought it was going to be another TV show, but I'm uh, at this point I'm not sure. And I don't think production has actually started on this thing. Yeah. Um, so, uh, and and to be fair, while reimaginings can sometimes have a negative connotation, you do have things like Battlestar Galactica. Um, there are negatives, of course. You can see, like, Sci-Fi Channel's uh, uh, Bionic Woman.
2: Yeah. <laughs>
0: um, which <clears throat> the potential was there the execution was lacking yeah um the you can get you can get the kind of thing where you have a uh well okay reimaginings happen all the time okay reimaginings have led to us getting batman in 89 It was a reimagining of what people thought of when they thought of Batman on the silver screen. Because remember, the last Batman on film... Adam West. ...was Adam West. Um, If you were a comic book fan, you knew, of course, that Batman was not the the silly, fun uh, comedy show. But if you were a movie viewer who was old enough to remember or had seen the movie on TV, then it was a reimagining. Um, The Dark Knight trilogy is a reimagining of, I mean so this sort of thing happens right mm-hmm. you 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 look at the same property and you deal with it in a different way um, however you feel about uh, the Snyderverse, man of steel uh, Batman v Superman these are reimaginings of the ideas you know the concept the concept that that snyder was playing with was what would and your mileage may vary of course um, what would superheroes look like Kind of in the real world, right? right?
1: Robert, Robert's mentioning in the chat. I love the game Battlestar Galactica Deadlock. Some of the lore of the game might show up in a show he hopes set before, oh, set during the First Cylon War. Oh, cool. You know, it would it would be interesting to see in something like a Battlestar Galactica where you do have now the new version,
2: mm-hmm.
1: and the new version harkens back to the original with basically saying in the first Cylon War these were the Cylons and these were their ships Right. even though they've evolved and there's new designs and all of that there's still an Mm acknowledgement of what came before within that new vision, that new paradigm I think it would be interesting to see some of that before, before, but what came before, mm-hmm. incorporated more into the new version. Three. You are microphone number three. And you have a camera. I don't too. like that camera. You don't I, don't want, I don't like,
2: like it. We, all, it's, it's, we it's just not have pretty. to hear her. It's okay. I'm not as pretty as you. <clears throat> so, right. when technically if I remember the ending of the newer Battlestar Galactica, they left it open to be able to repeat itself.
0: Time is a circle. So
2: at Uh, this point, they could do all this has happened. It can happen again,
0: right? Sure. Or it happened before. You you could, and and I think that there's uh, when you play with things that deal with some degree of time travel, and while that's not a great example, um, you're allowed. uh, Well, and 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 certainly. The Terminator films have tried, uh, especially the last two, Uh. have tried to basically reset things and go. It's a, it's a, you know, we've we've reset the timeline and all these things, and to if they had succeeded with audiences, you would have had this, you know, circle timeline thing. They haven't. It's not going to be the way it is. Terminator needs to rest for a while. Right. Um, But you also bear in mind that things like. like the new Doctor Who, the the, new, the 2005 Doctor Who, uh, return of the series. It wasn't. It was a, re, a revival of the series. But if you watched the first few episodes of that show, you could be forgiven for thinking that this was a reimagining, because the TARDIS looked completely different. The Doctor looked completely I mean, you know, the whole leather jacket and T-shirt, and, and the, the visual texture of the show was a completely different thing. If the if the American co-production of the TV movie with Paul McGann had gone had actually inspired a series, Mm -hmm. it would have been a reimagining. They would have been retelling some of the stories from the original series, and they would have gone off on their own direction.
2: And that would have been a
0: half-human doctor with a half-human doctor, and the master being his literal brother, and and um, the doctors. The quest, part of the Doctor's mission was be to track down his own father. There's all these things that would have been, it would have been a very different Doctor Who than what we currently have. Um, And so the reason for this conversation and the reason why we are trading in the reboot, remake, Don't Go Zone, Mm. is because uh, if you happen to be a fan of the British author Terry Pratchett, some interesting news came out this week about a long-discussed and long-promised TV adaptation of one of his, or, or some of his stories. Mm-hmm. Uh, the the Watch book, the City Watch stories from the Discworld series. Um, there has been discussion since before Pratchett passed away uh, that this was going to be turned into a TV show. And for those of you who are not familiar with Terry Pratchett, um, for a number of reasons, none particularly good, um... He's just never caught on in the U.S. the way he's caught on in England. Uh, put things in perspective: uh, how how big Pratchett is in England. When I was there in 2000, you could walk into stores and find like gigantic Terry Pratchett displays of just like all the figurines and his books, and they were just like there. Yeah. Because it was he's it was there was a big brouhaha in the U.K. when Terry Pratchett had criticisms of an article that had been written about J.K. Rowling. And a lot of people read his article, read his, his criticism of the article, as criticism of Rowling. And there was this, like, British fantasy fandom all set there and went, please don't be fighting. <laughs> because because Pratchett is gigantic in yeah. the UK. Um, he was the biggest UK, the biggest writer in the UK in the 90s. Period. And he was a fantasy writer. Uh, and one of the reasons I think perhaps hasn't caught on in the U.S. as much is that he was a humorous fantasy writer, and that is not a gigantic genre in the U.S., although that's, which is a shame, Um because Pratchett cheated. He would lure you in with the funny fantasy, and then by the time you were, came out the other side of the book, you were like, wait a minute. You made me think. You, you presented ideas that require my brain to work. Yeah. And... Um, He he, he was a genius at it. If if the name is familiar to you and you haven't read his books, uh, Amazon, of course, had the Good Omens series recently. Um, Extremely good series. Fantastic adaptation of of Neil Gaiman and Terry Pratchett's uh, novel they wrote together. Uh, And for a book that was long discussed being turned into a film or a miniseries and nothing ever happened, on his deathbed, essentially on his deathbed, Pratchett, said to, Gil, uh, uh, to Gaiman, and they're, these, they're both great friends, um, you know, you should do this thing. You should, you should make this happen. And so it was very much a labor of love sure. for, for Gaiman. Um, now the company that actually has the right to Pratchett's work, and his stuff has been adapted into films before, it's, there's a TV miniseries, um, there's a fantastic one called uh, Hogfather, which I highly recommend. Um, the uh, his he's got a he's got a slightly better track record of good adaptations than say Stephen King, um, but not by much. <laughs> Most people have better track records of adaptations than Stephen King. Yeah, but not by much. I think there's probably been what four live action, three or four live action, and two or three animated adaptations of Pratchett's work. Yeah. Uh, and there's like three good ones out of them. Um, but anyway, the production company that has the, the IP that has the rights to Pratchett's work was created by Pratchett, his daughter, and his uh, personal secretary who was uh, helped with a lot of his uh, work and was actually one of the people who when, when Pratchett was suffering from uh, Alzheimer's, um, he would actually dictate to his secretary. He was actually, he physically helped write the books. Right. So uh, at the end of Pratchett's life. Um,
1: before, before we do, I want to acknowledge Berlin12356 in the chat on our Twitch channel um he says hi nice pop and I don't see um, I keep looking if anybody's who's watching well, a documentary looking... back there well, I don't, don't think you can see it I don't it's oh, like nice pop where where is there a pop I'm just like I don't, I don't know. know what he's talking about oh, uh, is there a is there a funko pop back there that I don't
2: see could be let's
1: let's see what Tim's shot is does he, he have some the stuff Oh, or some the of the Prime. Star Wars... The, oh, cool. oh, okay. Yeah, sure. Yeah. All right. All right. Um, yes. That yes, is that one. is our salacious crumbs corner. Uh, so... you have no Star Trek, books.
2: Except the one... I have the
1: Andorian. Yeah. I have an Andorian oh, Sure, sure. Um, Yeah, over there. Mm-hmm. Okay, sorry. I, no, you're, you're fine. Um, right.
0: um, we, we, yes. we appreciate folks being in the channels and saying hi and, and giving feedback and letting yes. let us know what you think. Yep. The... Um, so, anyway, the... When when Pratchett passed away, uh this company that has this production company that has his rights, um, they have been long in discussions about producing a version of uh, the city watch stories. And for for those of you who haven't read the Discworld books, first of all, read them, they're very funny, they're very they're very, very good. But the watch stories are essentially the the uh, the tale of a small group of down and out police in a city where the police are not taken seriously, where the uh, there's actually a guild of assassins and a guild, the thieves guild, where basically the average citizen pays a certain amount of month a certain amount a year, to be mugged respectfully, and they get a receipt. Um, for, for well, yes, essentially because because the person who's running the city, the patrician, has figured out that it's very very useful to organize all these different groups into structures that can be controlled. Sure. And if you happen to have like a guild of thieves, then you can sit there and go, yes, every member of your guild will learn how to be a proper thief and they will receive a a good income and I know all your names and I know where you live. Same thing with the guild of assassins or the guild of all these different guilds, right? And so uh, in a city that is essentially a mixture of like 17th century London and 18th century Seattle, um, it, yeah, it's an interesting kind of, of, of mix there. Um, that's on the cusp of almost an industrial revolution. But it's a fantasy world with, with orcs and, and goblins and dwarves right. and, and uh, all these different uh, creatures uh, that all are in this... It's this melting pot. It's essentially a kind of a London melting pot weird place. Very, very funny. Um, Pratchett made a, a, a big... Uh, Actually, spent a lot of time talking about modern issues in the con using fantasy characters. Talked about, you know, he dealt with the subject of racism, of gender, of of politics, all this stuff. He, and he would do it in a fantasy setting. Like again, you'd sit there and get two thirds of the way through the book and go, "Oh wait, he's talking about," gotcha, okay, and then yeah. he'd make you think. Very, very great writer. So the Watch Books tell the story of this down and out cop. Who finds himself becoming, um, over time, respected and both feared as a representative of the law, and his, and, and actually a very noble character. Uh, starts off as a drunk, ends up basically a lord in the city, much to his great annoyance because he doesn't hate, he doesn't have any use for the royalty. Sure. And, well,
1: that sounds like somebody that we know. <laughs> well, we don't know, but been all over the media.
0: Well, you know, I frankly, as as uh, a little side note there, remember that this is a this is a young man who basically earliest exposure to large groups of people was his mother's funeral. Well, if you oh, can, That's kind yeah, to to brutal. give up to
1: give up the his royal highness title. But you know what? Like this crazy
0: done? idea. He he, and apparently he got on a plane and flew to Canada to be with his wife and kid, and that's because he because he missed him. Which is, I'm, I, it, it's a thing. I it's am thing. all, you know, I, I wish them nothing. I wish them nothing but the best. I yeah. have feelings. I keep them in a box under my bed. They're locked. It's, anyway. Uh, anyway, the watch stories are, are both police procedural um, and comedy, and the story of the, The uh, hidden king, Mm. and um, you know, you're my best friend's a werewolf, and uh, all these different—it's all these amazing, fun things are worked in there. They're very funny. They're very thoughtful. Um, Pratchett has a huge fan base for a reason. Right. So we get this exciting news that the watch has been is in development, and then silence goes on for a long time. Well, we got photos this week. From the BBC America production, which is probably coming out in 2020, it's filming in South Africa right now, um, and the photos are interesting. Fan reaction has been mixed. Mixed is a nice way to say it because <laughs> here's a little again inside baseball. Here, if you own the if you are the the rights holder to a media property and someone like the BBC comes along to you and says, I would like to do an adaptation, I'd like to get the, to, to get the rights, give you money so I can have the rights to go off and do this production. Yeah. You say, okay, and they give you the money, and you give them the intellectual property for X amount of time usually, um, and they go off and they make the thing. Once they go off to make the thing, you don't get to tell them, unless the contract specifies it, how they make the thing yeah you if you have if you ever wonder what this looks like um there were a whole lot of movies in the 90s <laughs> <laughs> and some of them were marvel movies a lot of them were marvel movies uh, and some of them were good and some of them were bad and some of them are just like their secret shames that no one discusses
1: oh i don't know i think i i think i think hasselhoff made a pretty good nick
0: fury some people believe this. Yes,
1: um, still waiting for him to show up as Nick Fury, Senior. You know that would that would actually be funny. Yeah. Um, so talk, talk about a reimagining. There's a reimagining, God, no, no reimagining kidding. Nick Fury from from white guy from the '60s to uh, Samuel L. Jackson.
0: Right, but 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 we can come back to that because I do want to talk about the the. Um, Things like a reimagining that another successful one was, of course, initially least initially, was the ultimate line for Marvel yeah. Comics. Now, reimaginings... Um, so uh, so what's happened is that not only have these photos come out and fans have been concerned, people sat, sat there and went, how could Pratchett's daughter allow this to happen? And, you know, uh, Pratchett's daughter, Brianna, has basically gone, okay, now look, a couple of things. First of all, she's not actively involved in the production company day-to-day operations. She has her own writing career. She's a video game uh, writer. She's gotten awards in the UK for her video game work. She's got her own thing she does. The other gentleman, uh, Rob, I can't remember his last name, but he was the one who, Rob or Ron, I'll have to look that up, um, who was basically making sure Pratchett was able to do the things he was able to do, especially at the end, um, he has stepped away from the company as well. This is a thing that happens. You start a company sure. and sometimes you leave and other people take over.
1: Yeah.
0: Um, she basically put out a, uh, through social media, linked to a article by Ursula Le Guin talking about her Earthsea adaptations. Now, if you recall, Ursula Le Guin, of course, wrote the Earthsea books, which, of course, are... Fairly epic fantasy series, huge fan base. A lot of people have looked forward to having a quality adaptation made of those stories. There have been two adaptations of those stories, neither of which would, I would say, would have the word quality attached to them. Right. Both of them are really bad. Well, and uh,
1: fidelity to the source material is even. You know, you talk about the quality of the production. I mean, you can mm. throw all sorts of money into it and it can look pretty and you can have decent effects and you go on location and all these fancy costumes and good casting and whatever. But if it's not faithful to the source material, right. then it becomes its own thing. right? And, and, and people are worried, I would assume, the the watch is going to end up being yeah. the same way. So,
0: and, and quite frankly, as a huge right. fan of the series and somebody who is keenly aware that transferring one thing from one medium to another books becoming movies books becoming TV shows TV shows becoming movies comic books becoming all the all these different things stuff changes right all right the MCU that you are we you know if you're a fan of this gigantic you know successful thing that the MCU is um, all of this stuff are adaptations of existing characters that appeared differently or did before the movies become big big hits a lot yeah. of the characters have have moved towards what the film versions of them are um, they were alternate versions some of them quite different Nick Fury again you mentioned coming out of the ultimate line yeah um well and and adaptations straight uh, strict
1: uh, strictly speaking adaptations and reimaginings just just going from Comic book to movie or book to TV show or whatever that doesn't really that that doesn't that's not how we're qualifying or
0: reimagining. So, but yeah, so in in this particular case, some of the things that have concerned the fans is, as I mentioned, um, the Discworld Watch stories are set in a world that's essentially a 17th century London with magic, more or less. Um, The photos from the TV show in production show electrical equipment. Shows lights. There's a fan. Uh, there's a, a, almost a post-apocalyptic steampunk look to it. It's very much a somebody. People have called it Blade Runner with more grime. Mm. Um, and it's 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 clearly not set in a 17th century uh, anything. Right. right. <laughs> now this is not necessarily a deal breaker for fans. There's some casting questions. Some of the cast seems to be dead on. Some of the cast. Uh, there's some definite cast. There's some there's some gender swapping, one of which I actually think is very interesting, um, and I'd be interested to see this. Act- Anna Chancellor is is the actress. Uh, she's a British actress. She does really really fine work. I actually happen to be a fan of hers. Um, however, I would not have ca- I would actually like to see her. She's playing a female version of Lord Vetinari, who's one of the major characters in the story. He's this he's the patrician of the city. Okay, And he's a tyrant. And he is happy to admit that he is a tyrant. He's, he believes that one man, one vote. I am the man, I, find I have the it, vote.
1: I find it odd that would cast a
0: woman in that role. Well, what's curious about it is that the character itself... And this is why this is why I'm actually not upset about this particular piece of casting. Because in the books, there is only one relationship where the sex of the character... I'm sorry, the gender of the character, sex of the character, however you want to refer to it, matters. And that comes down to the dynamic between vetinari and Sam Vimes, who's the captain of the watch. Mm. If you get that dynamic right, which is a question which is very much a um, uh, the patrician tells Vimes to do something uh, that Vimes doesn't want to do. And by the end of it, they both realize that the patrician manipulated vines into doing the thing for a reason that's kind of their so they had this mutual uh frustration relationship right they are not romantically involved fan fiction aside and there's a lot of it um a lot of slash fiction of that particular coupling um but they have they they are not friends but they have a respect that matters and and is keeping the city in balance right so that's the, that's the relationship dynamic. That doesn't have to be a two male, two female, male, female. It could be anything. Um, how that character is played, veterinary is a specific kind of character. If you depart from that, and this is a concern that a lot of fans have just based on the photos. We don't know anything about, the, except for the yeah, description. there's no footage. There's, there's no, no footage, so we just have photos. We have a little bit of description, um, but there's enough there to make people worried, and the casting stuff. Um, In this particular case, um, while, look, Terry Pratchett wanted to cast uh, late 30s, early 40s Alan Rickman as the patrician. That was his preferred choice. People who have played the part have, but Charles Dance has played the patrician. And um, Jeremy Irons has played the patrician in two of the the live adaptations. So you get an idea, that kind of delivery, that Mm -hmm. kind of, don't let me... Don't let me detain you one of his favorite
1: you should put Timothy Dalton in that
0: <sighs> too old. he's too old, is he? yeah because you were because really uh, at, at the uh, you kind of and, and Chancellor is actually the right age range. Uh, you want an actor in their 40s okay. um, because there's uh, there, one of the little inside jokes is that no one's really sure how old the patrician is and um, the patrician seems to age at a curious rate. There's speculations, Vetinari might not be human, but then again, his closest uh, potential romantic relationship is with a vampire, so who knows? Anyway, um, but anyway, there's so there's there's you know the questions you know however you feel about switching the gender of a character, this concerns you for can concern you for a lot of different reasons. Mm. Um, There's characters who have been uh, one of the characters in the books is Cheery the dwarf who is not thrilled about their name, uh, they get the jokes, um, who in the course of the stories is revealed as being a female. And in dwarf society, that's not discussed. So all dwarves are male. That's just one of the deal. And basically it's don't ask, don't tell. Don't ask the dwarf, because the dwarf is not going to tell you, and they're li- liable to separate your knees from the rest of your body with their axe Because it's a personal question you shouldn't be asking. That that's stuff, right? what dwarves do. Um, And so, but Cheery happens to be a dwarf who sits there and goes, no, I'm a female, and frankly, I want to wear some lipstick every now and again. I I should do that. I should be able to do that, right? Right. Over the course of the novels, this particular act of, of independence of this one dwarf has repercussions. So when you get to a certain point in the series, and another dwarf basically tells a large group of dwarves that she is a she, This means something, because Pratchett played the long game with some of his stories, right? right? All these stories build on each other, There's all this stuff going in there. The particular character that they have used to, the actor they've got playing Cheery in the TV show, is a, um, they're doing the character as a non-binary character. And I can see the logic of going, well, Cheery is essentially kind of an... Eh, okay, I can get it. I, sure. And, and I don't necessarily say, bad, but here's the thing. I'm five foot nine. I believe this actor is six feet tall. This is not a dwarf. It's not a dwarf. So, okay. All of these things, and I could just go on. There's a lot more, all right? There's all the other things that people... and uh, things, things in the adaptation
1: that are different from the source material enough enough that, that a, this could be an alternate universe version of it
0: well so and i'm i've i here here's me as the fan going a whatever they do with this show it's not going to impact my love of terry pratchett's books the audiobooks that i listen to on a regular basis cuz i love the the voices and right. all these things none of this stuff is going to change the fact that pratchett stuff is still there i can get i can get my fix from the real stuff anytime i want but it's a different version it's almost an elseworlds it's a DC Comics Elseworlds over here thing, right? Yeah. And if you think about it that way, a lot of the concern goes away. <laughs> but at the same time, I completely understand why fans are, are concerned about this because it's a very beloved property. Uh, last year, stars had the TV show The Rook, which is based on uh, the first... The fir- uh, well, um, it's a TV show that is supposedly based on the first book in a series of two. There's a third book on the way from what I hear. But it's a it's an adaptation in name only. It's basically somebody it, it and it was actually an interesting T V show. I enjoyed the Rook TV show it as its own thing. Book. Oh God no. It's no. basically I, I watched it going, This is a TV show that was clearly made by people who read the books and said, I don't like anything but the names. <laughs> And that's kind of how the TV show comes across. Sure. Um, like I said, it's an interesting show, and I encourage you to watch it if you're interested in that kind of... Uh, uh, it's it's basically spies with superpowers. Um, British spies with superpowers. Um, but it's a terrible adaptation of the book. I mean, it's awful when it comes to an adaptation of the book. Mm-hmm. Um, and as a fan, you sit there and watch that and go, what are you thinking? And I have to say that the, right, the author um, has gone on record saying... It's different than what he thought it was going to be, and that's okay, so. Robert of the chat
1: says, the most successful reimaginings, I think, were Kurosawa films of Shakespeare's King Lear.
0: Ooh, that's a good, Rain, yeah. And Macbeth
1: with Castle in the Haunted Wood.
0: I highly recommend those, those are great. And that's and that's a fair thing, because you look at something like, when you take something from one, and, and, and we don't get this as much here, um, American, when, when when you translate something from a different culture to another, when you get it right, and this is a tough thing to do because Mm. some stuff doesn't translate well. Um, We see this with uh, the translation of Japanese horror, -horror, J-horror, into American audience films. And it's really not generally something that works. Small, small female demon girls... um, (laughs) There's a place for that in your in your nightmares, but it's a it's a cult, There's a cultural reason for a lot of the Japanese horror iconography that it just doesn't translate well. Yeah, and and I think that it's been a struggle for American filmmakers to find equivalent things. And it's like doing Akira. We've talked about Akira before, right? Um, where and, that,
1: and and the original. The original idea that we heard about that one, where it was going to be set in Manhattan and the whole cast was going to be white, I, I guess I guess you could say that would be a reimagining. Although I am
0: so grateful that we have not gotten that at all. The only way that could possibly work, and it would, it loses scale. It lo- because if you if you basically made it a nine eleven type event, the problem is that it loses scale. And there's a cultural thing involving the atomic bomb. Um, you know Hiroshima and and just the cultural impact of basically yeah. being the only country that has had an atomic bomb. Two atomic bombs dropped on them. There's mm. something there that is just. I mean, that's why we got Godzilla and Akira. It all comes out of the same fear and the same the same nightmare fuel. Yeah. Um, and Americans, we just don't have that.
1: Um, not, not to that. Not, not to, to that, that
0: extent. Scale. And 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 certainly, there's there's nightmare fuel stories to tell. Of our own, but that's a cultural thing that has it doesn't doesn't translate well, and I think we can see that to some degree in the in the Godzilla movies, mm. where they as much you might enjoy the 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 new the, the last two Godzilla films or this monster verse with you know Kong and all that sort of stuff, but it doesn't have the same cultural impact. Um, but then again, Star Wars has not necessarily translated well uh, outside of the U.S or outside of the Western world. Uh, China and Japan, it doesn't have the same right. uh, impact anywhere near as much as it has here. It, it
1: brings to mind, there was an episode of M.A.S.H., hmm. um, which is not genre, unless you want to consider it in an alternate universe where the Korean War lasted 11 years. Right. Um, when uh, when Clinger asked uh, Sun Lee to marry him, and I think this was in the finale, but I don't, I don't, I may not have been. Um, he had, you know, at, at that point, the character had stopped wearing all the dresses. Right, and no right. Whatnot. He'd given up so the... he'd, he'd given up trying to get a Section 8. And then, of course, in that, in that last, I guess, I think it was the finale. In that last episode, he decided, you know, he they're going home. And he wants Sun Lee to go with him. And he wants, to, he wants her to marry him and, and all this. And so he gives her the box that's got the wedding dress in it. And she opens it up. And she says... She just starts bawling. And and Claire's like, what? Are you going to die? And she's like, what? No, wait, what? Because in Korea... White is worn to funerals, not weddings. And he had to explain it to her. He's like, "No, no, 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 no! This is a wedding dress."
2: Like,
1: but that kind of cultural sure. and that's, uh, thing and, is is is. And a that's thing. a
0: simple idea, let alone a big, yeah. you know, the the ideas you're playing with. Things like behind Akira, and even honestly, the, right behind the original Godzilla film, uh, which had to have an American, you know, uh, William William Burr, William Burr. No, William Burr was a... Raymond Burr. Raymond Burr. William Burr is a different person. (laughs) Raymond Burr, Burr, um, for those of you who have seen the American version of the film, he was an add-on.
1: Yeah, he He just stuck in there.
0: He was not actually part of the original film, and and it just has a different vibe if you watch the original version.
1: Robert says, Another reimagining he loves is the film version of Richard III set in...
0: 1930s Germany with Ian McKellen. Uh, Robert
1: Downey Jr. is Lord Rivers, and Ian in M- 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 McKellen. He Ian McKellen, as McKellen Richard.
0: is Richard. No, it's great. Uh, uh, McKellen produced that, and I think he directed it too. Um, yeah,
1: this is this is an interesting point. Star Wars is almost a reimagining of the King Arthur and Merlin story, in particular the version of T. H. White's Once and Future King.
0: There's so here's the thing. I think you can
1: make that argument. Here's
0: the thing about reimaginings: is that often they produce some of the most interesting. New versions of old stories. Um, certainly, uh, uh, Macallan's Richard the Third. Um, what is it? Uh, Scotland, PA was another version. Of, it's it's not genre, but it's another version of, of uh, Macbeth. Mm. Um, we're not in a on a stage. I can say that. And I've got a. a sorry,
1: we, are, we already had our. Event. I essentially
0: have a, I essentially have a minor in theater. I can get away with it. Um, but the. Uh, there's there and, and of course any time you do you, you see are, you are tempting fate, sir. I know. Uh, well, and and you see this a lot more in the theater. Anyway, you yeah. see it where a lot of uh, classic stories are given new life by doing a different way. There's been all kinds of Shakespeare in in the 1800s. Shakespeare in you know um, Egypt, you know, the time of the Pharaohs. You see all this. You can do all these different things because the stories have a tendency to translate well. Um, if you, for all the popularity of Shakespeare, I'm probably gonna get in trouble here. There's a certain simplicity to the kind of storytelling. And I don't mean that in a negative way. Um, a, a lot of Shakespeare's stories are about revenge or love or you know, mistaken identity, and this sort of stuff can translate over um, if you, you you change things clearly, yeah. but you're able to find a way to um, to touch the same. Cultural beats or emotional beats across cultures. Um, when it comes to movies, though, it gets a little tricky, especially if you do stuff back to back to back. Sure. Or, uh, the like uh, uh, Spider-Man. Oh yeah, Spider-Man. There's one. Uh, I was going to use the Terminator of Elms as another one. Well, um, see, I don't. I have I have a, a a tough
1: time making the distinction that the Terminator movies. Were a reimagining to a certain extent. Dark Fate, not so much. Now, uh, Terminator. What was the one with Christian Bale as John Connor? Terminator uh, Salvation, Salvation. Yeah. That I can see being a being a reimagining of the Terminator mythos, because it does kind of twist everything sideways. But Dark Fate, I wouldn't so much think is a reimagining because it's. To me, it's simply a reboot sequel, what they call a requel.
0: And and, and to some degree it certainly is, but I also think that there's been such an established idea of what the Terminator uh, stories are that a better example probably would be the TV show, The Sarah Connor Chronicles, right? uh, as a reimagining. And uh, frankly, uh, beyond the second Terminator, it's my favorite adaptation of the material, Because I think they they gave some they played with some interesting ideas over the course of that show, and they also uh, let they didn't let the kind of restrictions of the movie universe uh, pen them in. It it kind of reveled in being its own timeline kind of thing. And besides, I'm a huge. uh, Shirley Manson fan, and anytime the lead singer of Garbage gets to play in evil Terminator, is a, <laughs> I'm, I'm completely on board. She's no longer an actress, by the way. For those of you who are fans of the show, that was her one big acting thing, yeah. and she enjoyed it, but she enjoyed making music more. So she's never gone back to being an actor. Um,
1: what other what other reimaginings? Because we we mentioned Battlestar Galactica, and that's something that's that's come up a couple of times. Of course. Everybody does the Shakespeare stuff. Sure. Um, well, there's
0: been a rumor forever that we're getting a $6 million man movie. Oh, and some okay, of them have yeah. been um, kind of terrifying in thought. And and again, come back it's, to that it's whole...
1: Still, it's still on. Mark Wahlberg. Is it Wahlberg? Yeah,
0: yeah I, think I think it was. I think it's Mark Wahlberg um, doing a well, you know, billion dollar man But there movie. were other discussions where it would be you know, clearly more on the lines of a Dukes of Hazard movie or something along those words, played for laughs. Yeah. There's a comic book series out right now where they're playing it to a certain degree for laughs, but it's also made with a a fair amount, I'm reading it as a fair amount of love for the source material. Right. Um, And, um, but, I think, if you were to go, also have to bear in mind, though, that The Six Million Dollar Man was a reimagining, of the source material, which is the novel *Cyborg*, which is a very different beast than the TV show. Right. So sometimes, again, once you when you when you move from one medium to another, book to TV, comic to TV or movie, um, you end up with a significant changes happening. Just some of it because of cost, some of it because of practicality of effects or whatever. Uh, *Mutant X*. Uh, you may recall the TV show from the 90s... Yeah, it was John Che. ...dearly wanted to be the X-Men. Yeah. Um, and uh, it is the X-Men with the num- serial numbers filed off.
1: <laughs> or or uh, Relic Hunter, which is essentially Lara Croft Tomb Raider uh-huh. uh,
0: with Tia Carrera in it. Yep. And it's, uh, you know... And that's... If you go to places like TV Tropes, you can actually, you know... Filing the serial numbers off is a trope. I mean, it's it's yeah. everything in but name all, uh, only... Uh, it's the reverse of you've given it the name of the thing that i love but it's not yeah uh it's theo oh, it's it's the thing that i love with a different name how curious there was a whole subgenre of science fiction films after star wars that tried to be that battle beyond the stars i know but i have a fondness for battle beyond the stars though oh. it's so it's so just amazingly b movie mm-hmm. um it's made it's like made a b movie candy <laughs>
1: There is um, another, technique. I don't know that technically this would count as a reimagining, but there are the novels. You, you mentioned, because when we were talking about this uh, mm-hmm. earlier, yesterday, we were talking about the different ideas of the different types of things that have been reimagined. Sure. And you mentioned the Vampire Lestat.
0: Right, so the Vampire Lestat... Um, of course, is, is the huge Anne Rice book that really you know, kick-started the uh, Vampire Chronicles, which for a time, you know, certainly they are not as they don't have the popularity they have now, but for, oh God, 15, 20 years? Something like that, yeah. Uh, Van, uh, Anne Rice was producing just bestseller books right after another, all covering the, the stories of Lestat and the vampire community and, and the witches. It expanded into the multiple, like three different sub-series. Um, but a lot of people don't realize it was not the first book in the series. It was Interview with the Vampire. And Interview with the Vampire was a failure. It did not do well. Mm-hmm. And so essentially, she rewrote her first book as you know, shifting the point of view, making it about the more dynamic, exciting character, and then re- basically the series started from there, and then they went back and republished the Interview with the Vampire, which of those became a hit at that point. Right. Um, and then, of course, you look at some very off-brand kind of things where um, somebody who really, really, really liked the Twilight books decided to write some <laughs> fan fiction and reimagined it as basically Fifty Shades of Grey. Well, no, not basically, as Fifty Shades of Grey, and started its own thing. That's a That's you know, reimaginings happen all the time. It doesn't make them necessarily bad. However, except in that particular except case. Except in that particular case. go oh, God. Well, yeah, yeah. I, you know, I was, uh, I'm, I was a book dealer at the time when um, the Twilight books, the first ones came out. And I think I mentioned this before. I'm sure I have. Uh, that I actually read the reading, events reader copy of the first book in the Twilight series. Oh. And I was like, this is awful. <laughs> and it was a huge hit. And I was just like, why? Yeah. And then, of course, um, Fifty Shades of Grey came out, it's like, well, okay, That's sure, why, why yeah. not? Sure. I mean, you know, to each their own. If you enjoy them, all power to you.
1: Uh, one could almost argue that Star Trek Discovery is a reimagining of Star Trek. Well, all of, I mean, you've got the reboot from 2009 that Abrams did. Past that, everything that is after sure. 2009's well, movie, all of it's a reimagining. Discovery and and... Picard is going to be... Well, it's too soon to tell what's going to happen with Picard. We've seen some stuff. People are excited about it. Some people are not so much after Patrick Stewart has opened his mouth and start, you know, old man, get off my lawn about Brexit and Trump. And and this show is going to be all about that. And everybody's like,
0: oh, wait, old, old, old. Well, okay. You know what? But the thing is, is that he's a producer on the show, and he's telling his story, and this is what he gets to do, whether you like it or not, and you don't have to fact of the matter is this is what artists and creators get to do so that makes me think you and
1: glenn i was, wa- I was watching
0: tartar sauce last wednesday yeah.
1: you and glenn almost got there almost got there because you guys were talking about because because uh this most recent episode of doctor who was the message the speech it was very cl- yeah, it was a bad speech very clunky and Good concept, bad speech. Glenn made the point. And you, you made the point first, but Glenn articulated it a little bit more right in the box. He said, there's nothing wrong with the message. Because apparently it was a global warming type of thing that was packaged the uh, wrong way and whatever. And it's really, you know, well,
0: a lot of people interpreted it that way. And, and in all fairness to the actual episode the visuals that accompany that discussion...
1: Don't have anything to do with it? Well,
0: the ending visual is an atomic bomb going yeah. on. So there's there's a lot of ways to read it, but because it had such a clunky message, a lot of people sat there and went, tear! Yeah. And I completely get why they did it.
1: And, and Glenn made the point, there's nothing wrong with the message, but it has to be... It's the delivery. It's the packaging. It's, the, it's how you do... The message, and that got me thinking about all of these different things because you and I have talked about this before you know, with the Hugos and with Comics Gate and Gamergate and all these different things, you know, where certain creators in all of these different media mm. are letting their politics lead their creativity as opposed to let's tell a good story, like, well, like you're saying with Pratchett. Pratchett leads you with this entertaining yarn, and at the end, you're like, hang on a minute. Sure. Now I have to think about something.
0: But also, uh, bear in mind, and, and we haven't talked about this, Pratchett was never shy about telling you what he thought outside of his books. There was no question in your mind, if you read an interview by Pratchett, what he felt on whatever question he was asked. He was not, he suffered fools poorly, Right. Um, he was known to be extremely uh, blunt with people who he thought were uh, not terribly bright, and he had a he had and he was he was an unabashed liberal. So if you if it, it, but the thing is it doesn't matter. and, well, and here's see,
1: a, here... but it, but it wasn't. But his his personal stuff. You, you wasn't front and center. Here's the two by four. You, I mean, we're not going to make this whole show about this. Right, right. But no, you if, know, if you, two by four across the face. But if you, re- but if
0: you read his books and had no idea what he thought on subjects, yeah. by the time you read his books, you could put together an image of the man's own personal beliefs that would hit actually pretty close to Pratchett's own personal beliefs. Yeah. His point of view in the story, though, was a way to tell, you, to way to put that idea in your head um of what he felt and what he thought without it being a hi there i'm the author here's what i think right and i think that that how many times
1: in our various podcasts over the over the years have we griped and complained and and just really gnashed our teeth over the hand of the writer.
0: Oh, all the time, and I think and and, and when it comes to politics, um, you know it's it's not a new thing. By the way, uh, Star Trek: The Original Series. Let this be your last. Yeah, and that's a perfect example. But of also the Omega Glory, which is the right. one of the most jingoist, poorly written Star Trek episodes in the history of the show, and I'm talking about a series with Spock's brain in it. But
1: but 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 that actually makes my point for me because you also have stuff like
2: yeah,
0: like um.
1: Uh, oh, what's a what's an example? Um, like Arena, mm-hmm. you know, Arena is a very good episode. Sure, where you have uh, uh, sh- uh, shortly, but but let that be your last battlefield. Is probably the the worst example of all of well, those. It's a where wor- it's message fiction, and they're right in your face. Hey, here's yeah, a message. But, the, but
0: again, the Omega Glory is the flip side of that. They, the, by the time you get to the end of the episode, they've walked up to you and smacked you in the head with the patriotism right. stick. And that doesn't stick. make it.
1: And that doesn't make it a good episode. It's a terrible episode. A, but the good episodes, right, and are the ones that entertain and tell a story well, and the first, thing, and, the thing you and got, then you realize the subtext. Sure, is,
0: and and uh, when but you also look at some of those episodes came in the later days of the series, right? When Roddenberry's hands were off it a lot, and right. remember, well, third that,
1: season, Fred Freiberger just really.
0: And, you know, and Roddenberry, as a very much a liberal in the, in the, in the industry, um, in fact, if you read the making of Star Trek, it's like right there in like the first chapter. Yeah. His intention was to put his politics and his viewpoint into the stories, but do it in a way that it snuck past the very strict censor guidelines because you weren't supposed to talk about politics and religion Which and race.
1: It's kind of ironic because now all Star Trek is action, shoot them up, and they don't have any any reflection of Roddenberry's vision to start with. It's all post-9-11. Everything, I was listening to Robert Meyer Burnett was talking about this the other day. Mm-hmm. The fact that from J.J. J. Abrams' reboot forward, it's all... Some disaster or something blows up, and now we're at war. Now there's a crisis, and it's all post nine eleven stuff, mm-hmm. and heavily influenced by that. And everything's like that, and it's all dark and dystopian and whatever. Well, and, and there's a concern that Picard's going to be like that. Well, too. And, well,
0: and certainly there's a couple of things that, that when you look at say the second season of Discovery, and while I found the first season of Discovery interesting it's got a lot of problems yeah it feels like it feels like they had a really good idea of what they wanted to do and then while they were doing it they were discovering it wasn't working the way they wanted it to and so they were sort of the first season feels very much and you see this a lot with a lot of TV this is not specific to discovery or other or or science fiction for yeah. that matter well Star Trek the Next generation first season was yeah terrible. you in you that first season and you're like okay this is going to work and then you've then you're doing it, and you're going. Eh. Yeah. So the second season has a completely different feel than the first season, and of course it introduces Pike, uh, Captain Pike, in the Enterprise, and Spock, and uh, a young Spock who is very much inspired by uh, the menagerie, the cage uh, right. version of Spock, which we saw, which is, you know, the a little l- less controlled, less emo- more emotional, less controlled version of Spock, and you see actually that character become more controlled as this as this season goes on. Um, and so, in terms of production design and costume design, it pays a lot of tribute to the original show, but it updates it, and, and I think I think fairly clever ways. Actually, like the, the the new uniforms, I think are actually quite interesting. And it gives finally, we finally get a decent number one uh, storyline. We have a character who's I mean, number one's actually in the show for like yeah. the entire. It's actually so. There's a lot of, and it's not, again not a perfect season either. It's too, it's got too many, too too too, too, too many episodes, maybe. Anyway. Um, but it ends up end being ultimately. Uh, well, the first season I think was very very dark, and it was about a war. You know, Deep Space Nine, of course, did the same sort of thing. But, yeah, I but think again, it, you know, yeah, we're post nine eleven. But there's but a lot a lot of the second season I think has a lot more hopeful stuff to it, and a lot of that is. Pike becomes this inspirational figure for this for this crew which has been through kind of been through hell. Yeah. And so Pike ends up being this figure and he's played as this figure within the context of the show as being the best and brightest of Starfleet. And they they actually give a reason why the Enterprise wasn't involved with the Klingon war is because Starfleet basically said we're going to get Pike as far away from this as possible because if we all die, we got to keep one good captain alive. I thought it was an interesting idea.
1: You know it's a good reimagining of Star Trek?
0: The Orville. The Orville. It is. And I think that there's something that, uh, the same way that Galaxy Quest is a good reimagining of Star Trek. And I think that you can find these places where it really, really works, and you can end up with these uh, really cool ideas that are, uh, this other material is a springboard. Mm -hmm. Um, There's been some interesting storytelling in comic books with um, Squadron Supreme, which was a... um, started off in The Avengers, I think it was The Avengers, as a thinly veiled version of DC's Justice League as villains. Yeah. And then over the course of time, they've been villains, they've been heroes. And then uh, I believe it was J. Michael Straczynski did a the series called Supreme, which predated the Snyderverse by basically saying, what if these were people in the real world? What if you took an alien who had been... You know, uh, found by humans and raised him um, in a controlled environment because the government got a hold of this and they're like, oh my god. And what happens when that that child grows up into being an adult and realizes that his entire life is a lie? Right. And he's Superman without a moral code.
1: Kind of like, uh, what's that? Uh, Brightburn. Brightburn.
0: Except as, he, as makes, an adult. he makes it to an adult before he finds that his parents are actors. Uh, were CIA you know I think they were CIA actors or something but anyway um, you know what if what if Batman was a uh, you know night uh, nighthawk I think is the DC is was the the squadron version what if he was a uh, uh, a millionaire industrialist like before but what if he was what if he was a black man how would that change his viewpoint yeah he, what if he you know, he grew up in a different way than than Bruce Wayne did you know what if the uh, you know, there's all sorts of different ways you can do this. But it was a dark and grim series. What if Wonder? What if the Wonder Woman analog literally was an ancient goddess? Ancient goddesses were not nice people. No, no, what, they weren't. What if she was still around?
1: Well, and and <laughs> you flip the other way, uh, the Fantastic Four got reimagined in DC. Sure. Uh, with uh, Hank Henshaw and that crew.
0: Right, and Hank Henshaw became the cyborg Superman, a long running villain yeah. in the, spoiler alert um. Well, and even then, you
1: know re, you, you, mentioned, you mentioned the Ultimate Universe in Marvel mm-hmm. as a reimagining of oh, that yeah. universe. Um, you had Elseworlds in DC Marvel had the What If stories sure. Uh, which we're going to get an animated version of that which I'm fairly
0: excited TV about show. It actually
1: um, if it's done well, it'll be a lot of fun. and then there's new 52 and then there's rebirth. <sighs> so but the thing
0: is that new 52 new 52 that's, is less a reimagining that's, that's and more, more of yeah, a reboot It's a reboot, I it's a reboot. And, the, and the thing is is that uh, it's an example of rebirth that didn't work right I mean it's a and I think
1: I, I, I still don't think that Dan DiDio has admitted it didn't work. Really? He might have. I, I don't know. I, gotta I
0: think everybody else involved in the process seems to have come forward and went, okay, yeah. we tried the thing. Think, the I thing think, didn't work. Well,
1: and they're also now, I think, because of fan reaction, I think they're now re- rethinking the whole 5G thing that they were just about to start this year. Could be. You know, there was another one. Um, not necessarily a reimagining. Well, I see, I don't know. David Weber talks about uh, his Honor Harrington books. Mm, sure, mm-hmm. And the original plan was at the end of I want to say at all costs but it might have been at the end of In, 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 in Enemy Hands Honor Harrington was supposed to die mm. and he had this whole thing mapped out and at that point Honor had he was supposed to have kids mm-hmm. and they were going to be twins and they were going to grow up and they were going to continue the storyline oh, sure. okay. 15, 20 years later. Well they needed then he partnered up with Eric Flint mm-hmm. on some uh, side a uh, side story thread and that ended up doing all of this earlier. And of course, by that time, Honor Harrington had become this really popular character, and Webber right, yeah. didn't want to kill her. He was <laughs> like, "Well, I can't do that now," so self
0: self reimagining. Re, well,
1: reimagining on the fly—that's yeah, completely yeah. changed from here forward. And, and uh, there's been some
0: TV shows, I think, that have done that, um, where they've magic from one season to another. They've become a different show.
1: Well, Doctor Who is a good example of that, reimagining the lead character every two or three, four or five years. Well, yeah.
0: And and of course, that came out of necessity. That came out of William Hartnell, his health failing and his memory uh, slipping and his own unhappiness with the production. Um, It turned into, you know, there was the three, there's been sort of the three year rule which Tom Baker broke, uh, being on the show for, what, seven years, eight years? Seven years. Seven years. Um, And then, of course, uh, Tennant actually was on the show. Longer, but we had the season of the specials, uh, and you know. So, but they've kind of kept the three-year rule um, more or less. And that's not a rule
1: imposed by the BBC. That's generally the actors that they're going. Okay, yeah, it's time to go.
0: Yeah, and I think that a lot of them. And I just watched an interview with um, uh, Matt Smith and David Tennant. Mm-hmm. They were at a con together, and they were sitting on a couch together and telling stories. It was a lot of fun. It's on YouTube. You can find it all over the place. And they were discussing the, you know, leaving the show, and and what it's like to walk away. You know, but you're always the doctor. You're always going to be the doctor whether you walk away uh, or not. But there's that concern that you're going to get stuck, typecast in the role, which is why a lot of and and this is something that that's popped up with several other people talking. A lot of the actors playing the role, have played it later in their career. Mm-hmm. They've already established who they are. Right. The younger actors run more risk of that. Um of course Eccleson avoided it by being only being there for a year, but it's still He's still the doctor. He's still the doctor. Um
1: You know who would make an interesting doctor?
2: Hmm.
1: Dennis Lawson. Yeah because he's established I mean he's he's very well established in British television. Sure at, you know at most people over here just know him as wedge
0: and Tilly's. yeah but he's done a lot of, some of stuff. But he's he's done a lot of stuff in England yeah I think it might the, not thing about, be, the thing about the thing about English uh, actors and I think that there's there's this whole wealth of if you're not a fan of British television or the British cinema that stays pretty much in Britain um, there's a Huge number of amazingly talented people who could play and and when they this is why a lot of these actors show up in doctor Who and they're like I'm so happy to be here. This it's a cultural thing for them Yeah. Um, They you know it's, it's part of the, it's like you know if you had a chance to go well It's like Christian Slater showing up on on the set of Star Trek to you sure. uh, have a can a, a third of 10 second cameo. Thanks mom Um, You know this is the kind of thing where it's like you know it becomes a big deal, but Certainly, you know whoever whoever takes off, takes on the role after Jody is stepping into, you know a, a series of footsteps that is you know going to be sixty years here very soon. Yeah, and you end up with this. Uh, it's a show that allows itself to be reinvented. The ship can change. The only the only thing that can't change, it's got to be a blue police box. That's it. That's the one thing, and, and the name of the show. I think it would yeah. it wouldn't work it, but but whoever plays the part, you know, and that's why whoever you know if people are upset about a woman playing the part. Just hang around. There'll be another actor playing along here soon. There'll be somebody, else. and you know what? Maybe you won't like them either. Um, maybe you'll love them. Maybe you'll find you'll miss Jodie when she's gone. It's one of those things, you know. Yeah. It's it's a show that you can get away with reimagining it every three or four years. I uh, I have spent
1: the weekend going through and updating imdb mm-hmm. for, for for those who are familiar with imdb you know the the movie and tv listings where they talk about you know actors and you know cast and crew when you
0: it's not always accurate when you first become an actor or a filmmaker you get very very excited when you see your name in imdb and then you realize it's the phone book well it kind of is but, yeah, it's a, but
1: it's a good place also to list what sure. you've done, what you've worked on, and everything like but that. But it's
0: also kind of a film book.
1: I think it's kind of cool. <laughs> it that, is kind of cool. I love well, seeing my stuff. <laughs> well, and if you go and look at Catherine McNamara's yep. IMDb, her very, very, very first film credit yep. is mine. Is and my movie. It's my right. short
0: film. So, and you know, as you reminded like, me, I need to update my uh, my headshot of yes, IMDb. Yes, because you do. There's a lot more brown in that. A lot more brown. Oh, that yeah, that that
1: that headshot. There's a lot more brown in that image than
0: there's gray. Oh yeah. sure,
1: knock yourself out. But um, but as I'm going through this and I'm I'm trying to figure out our seasons,
2: mm-hmm.
1: because you know we've been doing this show for example, off and on since 2000.
0: Well, strictly speaking, we had a we had a, a reimagining toward the end where you. I buggered bailed. off the show is I what did. you I did, and suddenly it it's a Dim Tim Harvey, Harvey show, and I'm like, "Hang on!" Yeah, it was like show got show got an unplanned reimagining <laughs> right there.
1: Well, and and it's essentially kind of a, a reimagining, a reboot when we came back yep. after mm-hmm. our hiatus. But if once we figured out what our math was supposed to be yeah. and where we were going to do stuff, we figured our our season breaks mm. would be in. The, the different years, we're now in season seven. Yeah. Of this show, mm-hmm. if you go just strictly by
0: calendar the time years, because
1: yeah. our first our first episode was December of twenty twelve was the Christmas episode twenty twelve, and then we started picking up actual shows in August of twenty thirteen. Yeah, and we have been going pretty much. Relatively nonstop since.
0: Yeah, we got they, some they, for we've had some the breaks. schedules but, and
1: things like that, but, but yeah, but we're in
0: it now in season seven, so it's time for us to regenerate the new hosts, <laughs> 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 prettier, prettier people. Shit, <laughs> <Yeah>, exactly right. <laughs> prettier right. and younger, 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 I definitely younger. younger. You, have you have a question? A question? Oh, a, que-
1: a question from the peanut gallery over here. Yeah? I have
2: two questions. Right. Yeah, one. Wouldn't you say every time that a new author a writer and or creative team comes on to a character in the comics that's a reimagining of what that character was?
0: Sometimes. Not every time, but I would say sometimes. Sometimes. Um, it I, depends. For example, the new the new Batman creative team is doing a different feel. It's much more of a kind of a horror feel, uh, in, in the current run on Batman versus what Tom King was doing before. But it's not a hard break, right? They're they're picking stuff. It's still it's still the it's a fallout from the city of Bane and that whole thing, so it's not a complete break there. But then you would have, uh, oh, geez, uh, post final when the first crisis on Infinite Earths happened, mm. um, and this was actually caused DC some problems. They had series that were still going on. This, this, is, this happened with New Fifty Two too. New Fifty Two as well. Yeah, Where you'd have storylines that were continuing to go Characters who weren't changing But other characters were changing And so you actually would get like a complete revamp of character Um, A better example for comics is reimagining And this is where, you know
2: Like the Red Superman?
0: Well, that's yeah, that's an an Elseworlds title Yeah, Red Sun But actually, if you look at uh, when Batman first started The original version of Batman Was a reimagining of the Shadow the Batman showed up in a costume, he carried guns, he killed criminals. The Shadow wore a costume, carried guns, yep. killed criminals. And these are broad stroke things. You could also say at that point that Batman was a reimagining of Zorro. Because he was, in the, the creators were influenced by the Shadow and Zorro. Were the, the two big influences on the creation of the character.
1: Well, and and the Hulk, Jacqueline Hyde.
0: Yeah, so I mean, some of this Ramp stuff is Frankenstein, but that's monster. almost a, that's almost a filing the serial numbers off example too.
1: Yeah, but it, but technically it's a reimagining, because sure. You, mm-hmm. Because you're take, you're you're taking Jekyll and Hyde, mm-hmm. and Hyde is Frankenstein's monster.
0: Now, actually, the current version, the current run of the Hulk, to some degree, while a l- s- direct sequel to what has gone before, is a reimagining of the character because they've leaned very much into the more horror side of the character than they've been doing for a long, long time. Originally, there was sort of that, you know, he came out at night. He was, you know, the the monster of the id and that sort of thing. Now they're leaning much very into the fact that uh, he's kind of a demonic character.
2: That's the one with him coming out of the ground. there like isn't one of the pictures?
0: Oh yeah, there's all kinds of just like real nightmare fuel things around there. And, and basically the idea that gamma radiation being exposed to gamma radiation isn't actually a good thing right And that it leaves it leaves Radiation's psychological damage and and, <laughs> and makes monsters and and so if you have if you're if you find that kind of storytelling interesting when I do, you find this current run of the hulk, which is super different than five years ago, ten years mm-hmm. ago. That is really interesting Because they're playing With the Hulk In a new way And sometimes That can be a lot of fun Sometimes it's like Please Please put Wonder Woman Back in A costume That looks like Wonder Woman's costume <laughs> And in, I'm not talking about I'm not talking As opposed
1: about As to the To her Her days with the What CIA secret agent Right Her mod CIA outfit
0: uh, In the 70s Where she was dressed All in white Because yeah. you know They wanted to Because Man from Uncle Was a thing And they're like It's like don't, don't, what, yeah. why are you, what are you doing? Even, even the worst of the DC uh, animated films, Wonder Woman costumes, and there have been some really bad ones. Um, I will take over mod Wonder Woman. Well, uh, uh, the Kathleen Crosby
1: Wonder Woman, I'd say would be a reimagining. Oh, certainly very character. much a reimagining. That's very, very
0: much. much. Um, and quite frankly, sometimes when you reimagine a popular character uh, you're not going to have much success with it you can't change that character too much yeah. you cannot You cannot take the character so far off in a different tangent and have it be that same character well, I t- I t- I, that's not true you can, but you're running a huge huge risk
1: Robert's asking in the chat, anyone know where to find versions of Zorro and other movie serials from the 30's got Flash Gordon um, I have I know that the Batman serials from the 40s are available on DVD or at least they were at one point. I have them on VHS tape.
0: Um the Captain a, the
1: the Captain Marvel
0: there's a uh, you're serial You're talking about
1: Shazam Captain Marvel. Yeah,
0: the way back when he was uh yeah. Captain Marvel way back in the when. Um that cuz that the that serial I think was the first official superhero serial yeah and that was I think that's available oh, I haven't seen it in a while i it's a say, good question I would say the the first
1: outside of your usual suspects with Amazon and eBay I would say your your used bookstores your half price books or any place like that
0: maybe if somebody's given him up but um, some of this stuff is some of this stuff has passed into public domain so you can actually find it on those really really ridiculous compilation right, dvds right where you've got like 15 got films of 20 yeah. films i've got a really some really great science fiction compilations that are filmed full of films i've never seen before i've they're, got they're i've got a collection really bad of, but they're all so much fun to watch yeah i've got a collection of early john wayne
1: movies yeah. that nobody's ever heard of i mean he showed up in Stagecoach. That was his first movie. Was Stagecoach? He, he he emerged he did a fully lot, formed. Then he did a lot of movies yeah. that never went anywhere and did anything oh, sure. that were not successful. And then and then he took off when when he worked with John Ford again. Yeah. But But uh, past that, yeah, I I it's a good question of where to find. Maybe we should do a show. Oh, I we should do a road trip show. <laughs> where we go to various different bookstores and, and try and find and, this stuff and dvd stuff and do some treasure hunting we may we have maybe, half
0: price know. books here in town yeah. and and they actually have some really good uh video selection yeah. for films oh that's true
1: yeah minnie makes a good point um we were it it was a half price books mm-hmm. and i don't even remember what we were looking through and i was looking through the the vinyl because now mm-hmm. they got vinyl records and found a doctor who soundtrack Oh, yes. from I want to say it was when Davidson
0: was the I doctor. I may have owned that at one point. I, I have that, so yeah. It's it's. Uh, Does the cover art have the, the the horizontal? I think so. Yeah, I think I, I, think have, I have to go back too. and look. I had, I had that too. To I don't know,
1: but yeah. The well, and and finding those collections, you know, every now and again, you'll have a nugget that's in the mix of those. Fifty some odd movies. Oh sure. Um, Criterion it? just no. did a, a collection now of all the Godzilla movies, the Showa, yeah. Showa era.
0: Oh yeah, uh, I've seen films. that. Oh, It's, it's it. impressive. It the it's oh, impressive. Oh, I'm sure the yeah, team left it, it.
2: It was his Christmas present. Oh, yes. okay.
0: And he was oh. very appreciative of it. You said you had another question. I, I did I, have yeah. another
2: question. When does satire type stuff? For instance, you know, you're talking about when things have been kind of this like for instance, you talk about great Star Trek movies or Star Trek with Orville and Galaxy Quest. When does Spaceballs jump into this?
0: That, well, where's so
2: where's that fine line? Possibly? I think I, I don't think I don't.
0: Uh, so things like Spaceballs and say Airplane, because Airplane actually shares a lot in common script-wise with yeah. Airport 77, yeah, something like that. And yeah. so I mean, if you actually. If you put, like, for example, you put the script for *Airplane* and *Airport 77* side the by beats, side, the beats are closed. You actually have lines of dialogue that are lifted directly from *77* into *Airport*. They're the, played differently, and the yeah, emphasis. The, the, that's the, parody and and parody and satire.
1: Well, <laughs> it's, well, that's a that's a uh, that's a different category that because if you do something like Pride and Prejudice and Zombies or Abraham Lincoln Vampire Hunter your those are mashups yeah more than they are parody satire because it's basically taking this one idea and saying what if we added this other thing
0: but essentially they would be a re, they would be a reimagining Because the technically like, yes could be, yes I could it, say it could
1: be a reimagining you, like you
2: said with Airplane and Airport mm-hmm. you take Pride and Prejudice and Prime Prejudice, Pride and Prejudice and Zombies they are exactly the same thing with zombies, right? With zombies. Well, yeah, because
0: essentially, is it, it, it is a re a it almost reimagining literally is that. the definition of a reimagining. What if, yeah, we did dot dot dot. So, what if, what if we told Pride and Prejudice was zombies? You'd get this, you know. So, yeah, I think that that's. But Spaceballs is very much a parody. Uh, Men in Tights, um, well, as he said, it's, it's a, a, parody. a unlike unlike some people, he could speak with an English accent. Um, <laughs> you know, it's the The only thing that would have made Men in Tights better is if Alan Rickman had actually been in it. Yes, as <laughs> the sheriff, and that would have been because if he sho- if he had showed up there, it would have been just like the audience would have sat there. Oh, everyone's heads would have just exploded in the theater, <laughs> and the internet the internet which had not actually become yeah. really a big thing at that point would uh, have exploded. Yeah. Yes, and we, we we would we would have never recovered. It would have been it would have been the it, it would have been the singularity right there. Yeah. Right, I, I will say this before we wrap up because I think we need we need to because your stomach is growling, um, and I could eat something too. Can, can the microphones hear that? I, uh, I, I don't know that I they could. can. Uh, the thing the th- here's here's the thing. Um, you know, I started this off here with with a certain amount of concern. Um, I like I said, I love the Discworld books. I love Terry Pratchett stuff. I think I think his he's there's a reason he was knighted. Okay, he's he was a he's a British national treasure. He always will be. Um, it was a it was almost a state funeral when he passed away. Um, His dealing with his Alzheimer's and his his thoughts on how he should control the end of his life sparked an amazing discussion in the UK about end-of-life care and personal personal choices in that regard. Um, His books are wonderful. If you've not read a Terry Pratchett book, um, start with Guards Guards. Um, You can read any of... There's an order to his books. It's not... You can pretty much pick up any book at any point. Um, some of it, his early stuff is basically standard uh, humorous fantasy. Mm-hmm. But as it goes along, he's written stuff for kids. There's a movie adaptation, uh, Maurice and His Amazing Rodents, which is a lot of people are really excited about. Uh, the Tiffany Aching books, which he wrote for kids, but I love them. Um, they're, they work very well for, well for adults. From what I hear, it's in pre-production with Henson. Oh, um, okay. And they're really excited about it from the press release I saw. So there's a lot of cool things coming out that a lot of fans of Pratchetts could enjoy if If the watch makes you nervous and the photos make you nervous and the casting makes you nervous, remember, Pratchett's books are still there. They haven't changed, and they're not gonna and And while
1: I'm thinking about it, um, I will try to remember to do this when we stop when with the show's over. We are going to put a link in our show notes because you and uh, my friend david y'all talked about pratchett after he died there's a there's a, a yeah. special episode of h2o i am not on uh david parsons who actually designed our spaceship mm-hmm. uh and has done some animation work for us in the past he you you two talked about terry pratchett's career and, and that because David's a big Pratchett fan too. So yeah. we will link to that. That's an audio podcast that was back before we were doing video.
0: And i also so. give we'll also give you the link to there's a really great site. If you're if you're if you're a fan of Pratchett and you're worried about this and you want to actually have a little timeline, there's a site site called Discworld Monthly, which of course is a a uh, UK site that covers a lot of Pratchett stuff. There's a very good breakdown with actual facts and information and cross-referencing that is worth looking at if you happen to be a fan. So, okay.
1: All right, with that, we will wrap up. We want to thank everybody who is participating in the chat. Kind of an active chat tonight. Thank you guys, thank we you appreciate for, it. Thank for jumping in with your thoughts and questions. And let's see, next on the list, tomorrow we have a new episode of Tribble Bites. Mm-hmm. With our new host Meg Trast, that's yep. going to be on tomorrow night, and then Wednesday a new Tartar sauce Yes. talking about yes. Doctor Who,
0: Nicholas Tesla, Nicholas Tesla uh, Doctor yes. Who. It was really uh, we. Spoiler alert: we 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 had real issues with last week. We really enjoyed this week's episode. Well, that's good. Okay, so
1: let's see. We have Triple Bites, uh, so we're gonna throw our screens up. Tur- triple Bites uh, tomorrow night. And it and it may or may not be live. It's probably going to be pre-recorded. charge sauce on Wednesday, and then uh, on Saturday, uh, Friday we've got the ranker Pit talking about Star Wars, mm. and who knows who might show up. And then Saturday, Good Morning Multiverse at its regular time, unless something goes horribly, horribly wrong.
0: Or someone offers uh, you some money to go to a Somebody
1: offers me money to go sit at a basketball game and hold a camera cord. Um, okay, that's going to do it for us tonight. What? Oh, and a brand new Salacious Crumbs next Monday. This will be episode 84. Wow, cool. We're tooling right along. So, uh, so yeah, there is that. All right, that's going to do it for us tonight. Don't forget, we do have uh, a Subscribestar account. You can do PayPal if you are so inclined. Sure. Otherwise, any kind of support you give us with uh, thumbs up or sharing or, uh, yeah, I, I'm sure the thumbs down has already hit by now. Uh, thanks, Gary. And uh, uh, sharing is always uh, a really good, uh, a really good way to uh, to help us with the YouTube algorithm. And what, it, it, is not it yet. not there? Not yet. Not yet. Gary Give job. him time. It, yeah, it's 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 coming. It's he might have. He
0: might have other things to do. He might. I don't know. <laughs> um, you always say, Gary, tell your enemies too. That's to right. Yes. Tell your friends. Tell your friends. Inflict this on your enemies. Exactly.
1: And uh, we will be back with another one of these next week.
0: Good night, folks. Good night. Copyright 2020 by Flaming Dog Media, LLC. All rights reserved. No portion of this program may be retransmitted without the express written consent of Flaming Dog Media.